You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We have a couple of things to talk about today, including how the Angels get Mike Trout to the playoffs, what Garrett Cole's future might be, what the Braves did with all the relievers, and we welcome in our friend Sarah Langs to talk about Anthony Rendon. But first, there's news. Sweet Jesus, there's news. Yasmani Grandel signs with, wait for it, the White Sox. I'm excited. Someone tweeted at me, this is the most Petriello move since the Rays traded for Yandy Diaz, <laughs> which, fair. I don't even know where to start. I, I, did you see this coming? Uh, I was talking to some colleagues earlier today, and someone said, you know, I think Grandel's kind of underrated. And I said, he's not underrated if you share a cubicle with Mike Petriello. <laughs> we were, Matt and I were, were talking via Slack before, and Matt was like, oh, you know, Mike is the... Uh, unofficial MLB.com official (laughs) well whatever Grandel correspondent uh and I dug back into the archives from before I worked at MLB.com and I found an article I'd written for ESPN uh in 2014 saying Yasmani Grandal is the next breakout catcher uh apparently I've been on the bandwagon for six years now five years now whatever and I feel like I should get a cut you know I've, I've done more to promote the Yasmani Grandal experience than anybody before we get into what this means for him in the White Sox I do uh something I noticed who broke the news? The White Sox. The White Sox. Who broke the Will Smith news in Atlanta? The Braves. And I think the Chris Martin one too. Yeah, maybe. Isn't that's teams are getting a little shrewder about? Uh... I there it's that hasn't been like a, a Jeff a Jeff Passenbaum here. This isn't Ken Rosenthal. And not only that, obviously they know in advance because it's not just like a text tweet. They've done up the whole graphics <laughs> and everything. <laughs> um, great. I mean, Mike. You know, too. I will. Uh, I guess toot Mike's horn a little bit. He did a piece earlier this week, basically like who needs Grandal the most? Whereas like, you know, basically 28 teams could use him. Like there are some teams where he makes more sense than others. And he had three that could really use Grandal. And they were the Rockies, Rockies Reds, and White Sox. White Sox. So the White Sox, obviously reading Mike Petriello, decided two days later, you know what? <laughs> we should go out and get uh, Yasmani Grandal. And we'd already been talking about the White Sox as kind of like a – a sneaky team for 2020 and this certainly is just gonna this actually this doesn't this makes them less sneaky in fact it puts them squarely on the radar of like okay this is an interesting team remember the, the al central is generally bad right two of those teams are not going to do anything next year the white Sox still have a lot of holes right the twins have one starting pitcher the indians have i guess the same amount of bats as the white Sox do now because they've got a couple of superstars and a lot of holes um their pitching is obviously better the White Sox can't stop where they are. They need to keep going. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the reason I have liked Yasmani Grandal so much for so many years is because he somehow is still underrated. He is arguably the best catcher in baseball. You may prefer JT Romuto. If you are a Cardinals fan stuck in 2010, you might still prefer Yas- uh, Yadi Molina. I still hear from them. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I get it. He's not the best catcher in baseball right now. In 2019, he was the second best hitting catcher among those with 400 plate appearances, only a touch behind Wilson Contreras, uh, the second best pitch framer behind Austin Hedges. And depending on the versions of defensive metrics, you like something like the third best overall defensive catcher. But he's been doing this for years. Like I said, dating back to his San Diego days, six straight years of 10 or more homers, four straight of 20 plus six straight full season years 
of a weighted runs created plus of 100 to 125. He's basically been 10% or 20% better than league average every single year. This last year, he had a 380 on base and a 468 slugging. He hit like Francisco Lindor or Tommy Pham, and he did it as an elite framing catcher. If you if you roll in all the framing stats um, and you look at Fangraph's wins above replacement, over the last five years, he's been the 12th best player in baseball, five straight star level seasons, and now he's with the White Sox. And I'm looking at um, the I'm looking at the uh, depth chart projections at Fangraphs, and I'll note that they have uh, the Steamer projection system has Yasmani Gardel projected to be the best catcher in baseball next year, just ahead of JT Realmuto. And right now, project the White Sox to have the best projected catching production last the, next year, which is significant because in 2019, they were 20th in baseball at 0.8 war. Right now, they're being projected for 4.8 war as a, as a, as a group. So there's four wins right that's, there. That's, that's essentially a, and that's project, if Grandel is a bad year. That's projecting a four, basically a four-win improvement for, for Grandel. That's significant. And um, yes, James McCann made the all-star team last we, year. We but... need to talk about this for a second. I, I have seen some people on Twitter, not like advanced stat people, but more casual fans say, well, they had an all-star catcher. We need pitching and we need an outfielder. We maybe need a second baseman. Why are you spending on a catcher? Um, James McCann did a lot of things well this last year. Lucas Giolito spoke incredibly highly about him for, you know, we know catching metrics don't really account well for, you know, pitching staff management and game management, all that kind of stuff. McCann seems like he's really, really good at. That's not why he made the all-star team. He made the all-star team because through the end of June, he was hitting 319, 376, 514. So he had an 890 OPS um, and a 403 batting average on balls in play. It doesn't always work out this cleanly. So let me back up for a second. He was with the Tigers for the previous five seasons until the Tigers, literally the Tigers, non-tendered him last winter, which should tell you something, because he had a career OPS of 653. And then for the remainder of the season, after he got off to that 890 start, his OPS was 695. Um, I don't want to like outright say the All-Star game was a fluke, but it was very much a fluke. There was no reason. Like Credit to the White Sox for seeing through this and not seeing, thinking this was going to happen again. Um, and for all of the very kind things his, his pitchers say about him, the defensive metrics really dislike him. He was the second worst framing catcher in baseball last year. He cost about nine runs. If you were to look at pitchers who were helped and hurt by good or bad framing, and this is through fan graphs, four of the, tw- the top 12 pitchers who gained from framing were Milwaukee Brewers last year. That's where Grandal was. Uh, Kyle Davies, Chase Anderson, Brandon Woodruff, Adrian Hauser all gained from having excellent pitch framer. They were helped. If you look at the pitchers who were hurt by pitch framing, Three of the top six were Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez, number one, Ivan Nova, number two, and then Giolito was tied for sixth. So this brings an important bat to the lineup, but it also helps what was still a pretty thin pitching staff. I mean, Giolito broke out. The couple interesting guys in the bullpen, I like Aaron Bummer a lot. Um, they still need two starting pitchers at a minimum, I think, because if you look at their lineup right now, this is Jeff Passan tweeted this out, and I thought it was interesting. Once some more of their prospects come up, their lineup by like May could be Nick Madrigal at second, Anderson at short, Abreu at third, Mancada, uh, excuse me, Abreu uh, at first base, Mancada at third, Grandal behind the plate, Eloy Jimenez, who was awesome down the stretch and left. McCann at DH is not going to happen. Uh, Larry Garcia and Rayfield is not going to happen. This is where Nick Castellanos should be. I don't know how much money they're going to spend, but you do that, you get two starting pitchers. Now you're talking. One thing that the White Sox have kind of done well, that's kind of gone a little under the radar is that they've, they've, their long-term contract situation outlook is very good. Two of their like cornerstones, 
Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson, they've locked up for like pretty like reasonable numbers. They've got Jimenez locked up through 2026 and it doesn't really get expensive until 2025. And even then, if he's still good, it's 16.5 million per year. And in 2025, you know, that's less than what the qualifying offer is. Tim Anderson similarly is locked up through 2024. Those last two years are team options, but they're like 12.5 and 14 million. So they've got two very good young players right there who are just like locked in to go. They have Abreu on a one-year deal, which is like, okay, whatever. So they're, they're, their commitments are such that they're in a very good position if they want to. I mean, right now they're, they're as per uh, fan graphs, their estimated luxury tax payroll estimate for this year right now um, is 117 million, but for next year is 29 million. Yeah. So like there's there's a lot of room there this year and in the future for them to go add pitchers. I could see them trading McCann, frankly, because he might have some value, and maybe they feel like you know what, if we're going to be competitive, Grandal's playing 125 games anyway, so maybe we could we could get a little value from McCann and improve our roster elsewhere. But they didn't have to give up any draft picks for Grandal because he was ineligible for the qualifying offer, which is a nice is a nice bonus for them. I mean. Zach Wheeler, Keuchel, like Bumgarner. There's there's a lot of ways you yeah. could go. There's pitching it's, depth it's, on this market. Starting pitching depth is very deep. Relief pitching is there is no depth. They're not going to get Cole. They're not going to sign Strasburg. I don't think. No, I agree. But, but I, I think Wheeler 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 is a great fit. I love Wheeler's. So there's this is a really interesting team, and they have the the they're in position to to make moves. Let's assume they're going to sign two starting pitchers, right? So they'll send, let's assume they spend a decent amount of money on. Uh, Wheeler and, I don't know, Keuchel, right? They still need an outfielder. They're probably not going to go spend on Castellanos. So let me give you two uh, names you'll know, but who probably aren't going to get huge deals. Cole Calhoun, who got non-tendered by the Angels. It actually had an okay season. He He also just feels like a White Sox, I got to say. He really does. I like that. Um, I think he hit like 33 homers, but his OBP was was like a way down. He did, but everybody hit 33 homers. So there's that. Um, And this is partially because they could use the right fielder and also partially because... The White Sox seem to enjoy signing every Cuban who's ever lived. Yasiel Puig. I mean, Puig definitely. Puig feels- is like a really good fit for me in right field there. I could I could easily see either one of those happening. The White Sox were 72 and 89 last year. They haven't had a winning team in a bunch of years. And we're going to go and talk about the Angels in a second who were, you know, had a 90 loss season. Uh, who do you think is closer to the playoffs, the Angels or the White Sox? I think the Angels, because they get to play 38 games against the Royals and Tigers next year. Wait, you mean the White Sox? That's what I meant. I meant the White Sox. Yes. Okay, okay. I meant the White Sox because they get to, because of the that um, that division and also the you know who knows what's happening with the with the um, Indians. And the guy that actually probably is going to end up DHing for the White Sox is Zach Collins, who's another exciting young prospect. He's probably the guy who's going to get. He's not. Yeah, you're right. He's not really a catcher. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He's maybe prob- he's a third catcher. He's probably going to be the DH. He's and last like year- off-brand Kyle Schwarber, I guess. Who can't play left field. <laughs> I mean, he was the he was the tenth overall pick a couple years ago. I think he had a, an injury that basically forced him to miss. Uh, he missed a, he missed a chunk of time at one point, but last year at AAA, he had two eighty two, four hundred three, five forty eight. Like and and twenty twenty is probably too soon, but don't forget Andrew Vaughn is supposedly not that far away. It's it's a it's a like. The, I the bandwagon is going to start filling up. This is a really. We were already talking about this team a couple months ago as like I, an exciting young team, with just because of Moncada and Jimenez, and like I mean, whatever you think of Tim Anderson, yeah. he's a fun player. Like this is this is an interesting. Oh, he he game. played over his head a little bit, yeah. but but even so, he's still a good player. I I have skin in the game now. We I wrote an article like three weeks ago that you titled "This Could Be 2020's Breakout Team." Yeah, right. So if the White Sox go from 89 losses to a playoff spot, I will be tweeting that article out. <laughs> 
for the rest of time, similar to what I did two years ago when I said, no, the A's are super interesting. Um, this is a, it's a, it's a fun squad. I love the move for them. Now very curious to see what they do. Flip side of this, just a short tangent is not that I ever thought the Brewers were going to re-sign Grandal. No, I didn't either. But this is a big hole for the, like, <laughs> yeah. the Brewers barely made the playoffs last year and Grandal was a huge part of that. And like they, they need to do some work if they want to sort of stay in the mix with contenders. They have very little pitching. They don't really have a catcher. I mean, I like Manny Pena, right? And probably some decent-sized concerns over Lorenzo Cain's future because he was really not that good last year after being very good his first year. Yeah. So and, and and Arcia can't hit. They might need a shortstop too. That's, I mean, he, I think to and me... And Moustakas is a free agent. Okay, and exactly. They, and they cut their first baseman. Eric Thames is a free agent. Wow. I just talked... I re- <laughs> How about this? I really like the new uniforms they put out. <laughs> DD to the uh, Brewers is looking better and better by the DD day. DD to the Reds is where it should be. But I've just completely talked myself out of the Milwaukee Brewers. Awesome. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the... We'll go back. We're, we were transitioning from the White Sox to the Angels. Two teams that are in sort of not, not similar boats, but ter- in terms of the number of wins last year and, you know, and sort of creating expectations for, for 2020. The, uh, the, sometimes things work out fortuitously. I had yesterday, I don't think it's published yet, but yesterday I had written up uh, an article about how do you finally get Mike Trout back to the playoffs? Like, obviously, baseball's best player, arguably the best player to ever live, hasn't been in the playoffs except for those three games back in 2014. I, I wrote that. We haven't posted it yet. And then this morning, he was on Sirius XM Radio, the MLB Network channel, and a quote he gave really props up my article pretty well, because he said, I think every Angels fan or Angels player is just looking, waiting for that thing to pop up on their phone, saying, we're acquiring somebody. I want to get to the playoffs. And I tell you what, Mike, we want you in the playoffs too, desperately more than anything. I hate every year that Mike Trout doesn't get to the playoffs, um, because his team just isn't that good. Last year, 72 and 90, uh, it wasn't bad luck. They were outscored by 99 runs. So their Pythagorean was 72 and 90. If you look at wins above replacement, they were a 72, 73 win team. Uh, obviously the tragic loss of Tyler Skaggs, you know, affected them in some way. We know that, but this is their fourth straight losing season. They, they have not been a good season, a good team uh, around Mike Trout. And it feels like now is the time in part because even Mike Trout won't be this good forever, which is, it's like the saddest thing to know that someday, 12 years from now, we're going to talk about Mike Trout the way we're about to talk about Albert Pujols. You know, <laughs> it makes me feel sad and old. Um, but I, I feel like the reason that now is the time is because, you know, Trout signed that extension in part because he said, I believe in this team. But also, uh, you you don't bring in Joe Madden to not contend, I think. Or at least Joe Madden doesn't sign there if he thinks you're going to be another 78-win team. That's probably true. And, I mean, we we have seen in recent years – you know, we're sort of betting on it with the White Sox. We've seen teams make huge leaps from one year to the next. Obviously, it's a, the it Twins takes, just did it twice in three years. <laughs> it takes it takes a a, you know, a big confluence of events sometimes. But you know, when you're starting with Mike Trout, it's a pretty good starting point. Yeah, if you can't win with Mike Trout, then you just generally can't win, which is not a great sign. So the good news is that uh, their owner Artie Moreno says that payroll is going to go up. Right? He is. He said, "I want to win." I presume he promised uh, Joe Madden some pitching will be coming and spending is good. Obviously getting good players is the thing you want to do, but for the angels, they also have to spend a little more wisely than they did last year. Last year, instead of getting uh, like big players on long contracts, they went in for a lot of one-year deals on veterans. They spent $35 million, almost $35 million on Jonathan Lucroy and Justin Bohr, who combined to have a 290 on base percentage and Matt Harvey, Cody Allen, and Trevor Cahill, who combined to have a 6.37 ERA. I think four of those five didn't even make it through the season with the team. That didn't work out so much. 
But this year, they've declined uh, Calhoun. They have some projected arbitration bumps. So the way we estimated this here is they're at about $148 million. We think based on reports, they'll have like 40 to $50 million to spend. How do you add 25 wins to get Mike Trout to the playoffs? It's not easy. It's almost an unreasonable assertion, but you've got to get him there. How do you do it? Um, first, you start by him playing a full season. Okay, good start. <laughs> the last, he said, I mean, I'm not saying, I won't call him injury prone, but he's missed time in each of the last three Pre-season, years. Yes. He's missed at least 22. He was, what is it? One, one, in 2016, it was 114. Well, sorry, first, 17. 17, yeah. 114, 140, 134. So um, that's, that's, that's a starting point right there. If he plays a full season, 2016, his last injury-free season, he was 9.7 war per fan graphs. This year, 134 games. He was 8.6. That's one win right there. Great. One win down. A whole bunch more to go. Uh, the second thing is, now I, I should preface all of this by, this is a lot, of, a lot of wins, and they're not all coming from the free agent market. So in order for this to happen, you've really got to look on the bright side and wish cast for all of these guys. So the second thing here, and this is I'm going to mark down here, plus four more wins, is you need Justin Upton and Angelton Simmons to be better versions of themselves. And I'll tell you where I get plus four from. Uh, if you look at the steamer projections for next season, those two are combined to are projected for a five win season, right? It's not unreasonable. In 2017, they were worth 10 wins. In 2018, they were worth nine wins. And then uh, last year, they were worth 1.5 wins. And that's obviously because of injury. Uh, Simmons had an ankle injury. Justin Upton had a toe and a knee injury, and they didn't really play that well, even when they were out there. Upton claims he's going to have a quote, normal off season. It's worth noting that before last year, He'd had eight straight years of 600 plate appearances. Uh, seven of them came with 20-plus home runs. You can't really project them for their peaks because now they're in their 30s and they just had leg injuries, which is always terrifying. But I think it's reasonable to say those guys could both be average to slightly above average players. Combined for five wins, there's a plus four. There's definitely, that is definitely a place they can make some gains. Definitely. All right, we're on our way. All right, number three. Here's the obvious one. This might be the only one that actually matters. Sign Garrett Cole, <laughs> All right? Uh, the, the Angels' rotation last year was truly dreadful. Obviously, they lost Skaggs, and, and that was horrible, but it wasn't just that. Right? They were the first team since the 1919 Phillies to not have a single starter with 20 games started. Good God. <laughs> that's that's horrifying. Uh, they had a 564 starters uh, ERA, better than only the Rockies. Their current top three, Griffin Canning, Andrew Heaney, and Jaime Berea, combined for a 527 ERA. Their rotation, to put it simply, is not good. Billy Epler said, we're going to sign two starting pitchers. Cole to the Angels feels like too obvious in a sense because he's from Orange County and he grew up going to Angels games. Um, but also they need him and it's not going to work without him. So I'm saying they're signing him. Fangraf has him for seven years, $242 million. I'll go with that. $34 million a year is already like half to two thirds of my proposed budget here. But if they don't get him, nothing else matters. That's true. It Plus has, seven. It also has the added bonus if you're trying to chase the Astros. Losing Cole kind of knocks the Astros, any, yes. any projection of the Astros down. So in some ways you could almost argue it's almost like the same as like a plus nine or plus ten because the, the Astros will almost certainly replace Cole with a, let's say Cole's a seven-win pitcher. He'll probably get replaced with a two- or three-win pitcher. That's fair. I, I, that's going to happen, right? There's there's too much smoke here. for Unless the Yankees go like absolutely nuts and say 10 years, 300 million, it's going to happen. All right, here's the second thing. We know that they need more than one starting pitcher. I, you could say trade for Matthew Boyd or Robbie Ray. You can really go a million different directions here. I went with Dallas Keuchel. And the reason I did that is because you may have remembered where five seconds ago I just said they're the first team in 100 years to not have a starting pitcher make 20 starts. Dallas Keuchel has very little upside at this point, but he's reliable, right? You can expect 175-ish 
league average ish or slightly better innings. I think they need that more than they do like a high risk, high upside guy like Hyunjin Ryu. You know, the Dodgers can afford a guy like Ryu. I don't think the Angels can. They need a guy you can pencil in and say he's actually going to be there all season long. Uh, the, 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 I mean, and the fact that they've got the good infield defense, it sort of it, match, it makes Keuchel actually fit more nicely there compared to other compared to other teams. And that's absolutely true. No American League infield added more value on grounders, uh, comparing expected batting average to actual batting average. Even with Simmons missing a bunch of time, the Angels were 22 points over expected, fourth best in baseball, best in the American League. It's a good fit for Dallas Keuchel. So now I've added three more wins. We are up to let's see, 10 wins, 15, uh, 15, uh, 15 wins. We're up to 15 wins. We spent a lot of money so far, uh, and we're still like 10 wins short. Here's the other thing that's going to need to happen. There's a couple of things. You need to get peak Shohei Otani. Now, I don't really know what peak Shohei Otani could be. Like, There's a 99th percentile outcome where he's a five-win pitcher and a five-win player at the same time. That's probably not going to happen. He uh, potentially, Billy Epler has said he could pitch once a week and then be the DH three or four days a week. It's really difficult to know how this is going to work out. He's supposedly supposed to th- supposed to start throwing off a mound soon, but he has not currently done so yet. But let's just assume that works, right? And he does that. Last year when he got hurt and we started to look ahead to his future, I did some back of the envelope math. And I said the best version, like the best somewhat realistic version of Otani could maybe be about six wins above replacement. Well, now the Fangraph's depth charts, which have him somewhat pitching and somewhat hitting, have him projected for six wins above replacement. I'll take it. He was worth two last year as uh, just a hitter. There's plus four right there. We are really like, it's a good thing they're close to Disneyland because everything is going to need to come up roses here. You this, know? Reminds me, this reminds me, you know the movie Dave? The uh, vaguely. When the imposter becomes Kevin president. Klein? Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of the scene where like him and his buddy played by Charles Grodin. It's a great scene scheme to like balance the budget like behind everyone's back and they go into this cabinet meeting and they're like, well, if we take like $10 million from this and this and this and this and they're like, oh, we've saved this like, this, this program we yeah. wanted to save, like, all set. This is what it feels I, like. Well, I agree with you. This is not necessarily serious analysis as it is get Mike Trout to the playoffs and everything needs to go perfectly right for it But it's obviously, we've seen it happen year in and year yeah. out. We see teams make 20, 21 leads, so it's possible. I think I, I, think I said uh, eight teams in the last decade have gone from 89 losses to the playoffs. Right? It's possible. The Twins just went plus 23. In some ways, I think the next item on your list is, might be – it's the most – intriguing difference maker you may know that joe adele is one of the best prospects in baseball i believe at mlbpipeline.com right now we have him as the fifth best prospect in baseball he may have been up late last year but he hurt his leg and he missed some time and made it a triple a by the end of the season um we need him in this scenario to come up and be good right away okay i'm gonna say you know dan Samborski does the zips projections he said uh a nearly three-win projection for Adele this year is reasonable. So I'm going to go with that. And, you know, that's a lot to put on a guy who turns 21 in April, but Juan Soto had four wins at 19. Juan Soto had five wins at 20. I understand Juan Soto may end up being an inner circle Hall of Famer. <laughs> so it's not really fair to compare him to, but we've seen it before. And it's got to happen here. He's going to be the right fielder. He's dominant. He's dominated through the minors. He has like, he's the perfect combination of like, Great tools and great stats to sort of like suggest that he can't hit the ground running when he gets to the major. If you leagues. if you haven't seen the video, he's playing in one of these offseason tournaments. Uh, he hit a home run like maybe ten days ago, and it is just massive. It is visually pleasing. Uh, Brian Goodwin will probably be the placeholder in right field for a minute, and then it's going to be Joe Adele. Okay, Yasmani Grandal is off the market. The Angels don't have a catcher now. I know they technically have a catcher. But Kevin Smith will be 32 in June, and he's never played 90 games in a season. And it was only a year ago that the White Sox actually let him go. Max Stassi has never played 90 games in a season. 
And he just hit 136, 211, 167, and probably misses most of spring training due to hip surgery. They don't have a catcher. Jonathan LeCroy didn't work out last year. So I'm suggesting trade for Wilson Contreras. Now, hear me out on this one. Uh, the Cubs have made a whole bunch of noise about making some sort of move to shake things up. I don't think they're going to trade Javier Baez. I don't think they're going to create, trade Chris Bryant. They can't trade Jason Hayward. I guess Schwarber, maybe. I say Wilson Contreras because they have Victor Caratini, who they really like. You reunite Contreras with Joe Madden. It is fair to say that Wilson Contreras is a very poor pitch framer. We can't have everything we want in the world. He's a very good hitter. He is probably the best hitting catcher in baseball last year, 355 on base, 533 slugging. Uh, his arbitration is projected for $4.5 million. He's got, I believe, three more years of team control. That's two wins right there. It's, it would be nice to have a guy who is a better pitch framer. Maybe you sign a backup that, that kind of way because the pitching staff needs the help. But you put him in the middle of the lineup with Trout and Otani and Adele and you know Simmons can hit when he's healthy and Fletcher and Listella have had their moments. Now you're now you're talking. I this is what I see. I it seems of all the things in some ways this feels the least likely. Everything else yeah. we discussed, like I could see this happening. I don't see this one happening. But there are a couple of decent like mid level catchers still out there in the market that de- definitely feel like they're going to be Jason angels. Castro. Jason Castro has a Martin real Maldonado. Real <laughs> angel vibe. An angel. <laughs> Robinson Torinos. Torinos. Jason Castro. Travis Darno. Alex Avila all have like a real potential future Angels vibe to them. And they would be, they'd be upgrades on this team. Probably fair. And then the last thing, and this makes me sad to say, but it's absolutely true. Uh, you got to stop playing Albert Pujols every day. He turns 40 in January. It is true. He had 23 homers and 93 RBIs, but I think we all know he's been a below average hitter for the last three years. He can't really play the field anymore. You need DH time for Otani and maybe Upton if his leg isn't healthy enough to play the outfield every day, they would improve uh, by not having him, it would not save them any money, but that's fine. You know, you you this contract, you always went into it expecting big things up front, and you probably wouldn't love the end, and we have reached the end. It's um, not going to happen, I know. A, a more modest proposal, which I think has, could happen, would be with 26-man rosters, you kind of carry him. He actually hit lefties pretty well last year. So 26-man roster is a fair point. 26-man roster, he hit last year against lefties. Uh, he hit 261, 315, 515. He had 11 homers as a lefty, 12 as a righty, and half as many at bat. So he still has some pop against lefties. I know they're not going to do it. Sign Eric Thames. Okay. I you like have a that. little Eric Thames from Pepper, went to Pepperdine. You know, he knows knows the area. He's kind of a local guy. And They're from Southern California. Everybody's a local guy. <laughs> this is true. But um, you might be able – like that's the kind of maybe sort of fake platoon you could have where you could still carry um, – you could still carry pools. Uh, right-hand pitch hitters will be more valuable in a world where Lugies no longer exists, where if you bring a left-hand reliever, he's got to face three batters. So I think that's more like the scenario. It's something that the Angels should strive to do, which is basically make Pools a part-time player. And, and Joe Mann is one of the few managers sort of with the gravitas to okay. kind of pull that off. I like it. And then the final thing, this isn't – I'm not adding any wins to them, but you've noticed things aren't going great in Houston right now. <laughs> it's just – it's not great all around, and they probably will lose Garrett Cole maybe to the Angels. I just think either way, uh, no matter what happens with the Astros, they won 107 games last year. It's not realistic to project that on anybody. Like yeah. it's an amazing season. They took 14 of 19 games from the Angels. So you think maybe they come back to the pack a little bit. Even still, they're probably still a 98 win team or whatever. The Angels probably can't catch up to them, but you never know. Things are so rough right now that maybe this is the year where they just fall apart and the Angels actually have a shot. I'm trying to get my trout in the playoffs. Uh, I'm into it. Um for about $54 million, we've added 25 wins, but we haven't helped the bullpen. We haven't helped depth. We've assumed that everything goes right, and 
We know that it won't. We know that Simmons or Upton or Pujols or Otani or somebody will get hurt. Trout might get hurt again. Is it possible for them to get there? Yes. Is it likely? Eh? As we just said, I'd, 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 I'd take the White Sox over them for the playoffs in uh, yes. 2020. I look, I look forward to projecting a Tampa Bay White Sox wildcard game. It's going to be great. Okay, so Garrett Cole, wherever he signs, which I assume will be with the Angels, is going to get a great deal of money, and teams are going to want to know how he's going to age. So uh, you had Andrew Simon, one of our writers and researchers, work with Tom Tango and uh, Brian Cartwright, who is a, a baseball projector for a long time, to kind of come up with some interesting projections about his future. Yeah, it basically just re- it's essentially the assignment was let's project uh, Garrett Cole's career. And in the past, last year we did a similar thing, and uh, Brian and Tom helped us put, put piece together projections for Harper and um, long-term projections for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado as they hit free agency. The thing that jumps out about, about Garrett Cole is his long-term projections are really, really good. Like they're like maybe the best long-term projections I've ever seen. For <laughs> they're a so good. They almost feel unreasonable. Um, we have here, let's see from 2020 to 2026 is projected ERA by year. The highest is 292. I take the over on that, but it's really good. For a little bit of context there, no, that's seven straight years of an ERA under three. No pitcher in baseball has had an ERA below three for the last seven years. There's two that have done six of seven years. Can you guess who the two pitchers are who've been under three for six of the last seven years? Uh, Kershaw. Yes. Although and his first under three was this year. Yeah. I mean, first above three was this year. And Scherzer. Max Scherzer. And Max Scherzer really is basically kind of the, in terms of the, the aging comp, you're, you look at Cole. A similar type pitcher. He's, and he's, and he's, he's now probably, what, five years older than yeah. Cole is now. So that's kind of what you're, you know, if, if you're kind of going to dream on Cole, or in this case, project reasonably, you're projecting him to basically have the next few years of Max Scherzer's career. So they took these uh, projected ERA numbers, and Tom added some projected innings to get a wins above replacement uh, by year. And so they started out, you know, 200 innings and six and a half wins above replacement in 2020, and then a few innings less and less each year. Uh, by the end, it gets to uh, a total of 1,043 innings, 33 wins above replacement. So an average of about 150 innings and 4.7 wins above replacement per year. If 150 innings per year sounds low, don't forget, you can't expect him to stay perfectly healthy over the next seven years. So by the end, it's down to like a 100 inning 2026. We've seen what happens to pitchers, even Max Scherzer this year, finally started missing some time uh, and some injuries. So if you were to actually do that, it would be you know elite because if you look at the last seven seasons, 35 pitchers threw that many innings, uh, but only six reached that projected war total. Scherzer, Kershaw, Sale, Granke, Verlander, and Kluber, and DeGrom basically did, but he missed by like a fraction of a point. But I, what I thought was interesting here is so Andrew went and he tried to use this to go back and then look forward to find a more recent precedent because Cole's only been like capital letter Cole for the last two seasons. Since joining the Astros. Right. So what Andrew did was he went back and he found pitchers who were born in 1975 or later, because obviously we're not interested in looking at, I don't know, Jack Chesborough or, <laughs> or Walter Johnson. Uh, he wanted to find those guys who produced at least 10 wins above replacement at ages 27 and 28, as Cole just did, and is now through at least his age 33 season so we can see what happened. He found 13 names, and altogether those 13 pitchers averaged roughly 17 wins above replacement over the next seven seasons, or about two and a half per season. Um, there's some interesting names here, like the guys on top, the guys who, who stayed elite, Scherzer, Verlander, and Cole Hamels. Okay, cool. Uh, the guys in the middle who had you know ups and downs, Tim Hudson, who I'd kind of forgotten about, but he was really good for a while, CeCe Sabathia, uh, Johan Santana, and Adam Wainwright. And then the names at the bottom who sort of you know flamed out or just weren't that great for a while, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, 
Dan Heron, Brandon Webb, Felix Hernandez. I just realized how many angels were in that group. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you you have to look at this, I think, and and say, I'm hopeful about his long-term future. The one thing, the, the one question is like, it's unknowable right now, is how much leaving the Astros is going to affect him. Like if there were like start-to-start adjustments or even in-game adjustments um, that he was making as a result of the infrastructure they have there that he's not going to be making elsewhere and how much that's going to affect him as a pitcher. We won't really know until he signs elsewhere, but you know, we saw Charlie Morton leave the Astros and he was fine. He seemed to do okay. (laughs) So it leads me to believe that Cole will be just fine as well. And it's, you know, there there was also a piece, I think that it might've also been Andrew Simon that did it basically earlier this post earlier this, uh, this off season, making the case that, Cole is the best free agent pitcher since Greg Maddox in like 1992. More so than Scherzer. Um, yes, I think because of age and the, the, the pure dominance like of the previous like two. I mean, there, you could argue there's a few guys you could you could argue, but I think it was because of um, he was a year younger. I think than Scherzer and maybe just like the pure dominance of the season entering um, entering uh, free agency. I'd have to go back and look, but the point was like there's a case to be made, and, and that's pretty amazing in its own right. Uh, before we move on and welcome in our friend Sarah Langs, I did want to touch on what the Braves are doing. Uh, before the White Sox signed Grandal, it seemed like the Braves were the only team who actually knew you could sign people. They had, first of all, retained Nick Markakis and Tyler Flowers and Darren O'Day, but then they brought back Chris Martin and they signed Will Smith. Then all of a sudden, the Braves have what looks like a, a really interesting bullpen. But I'm more interested in what that means for the rest of the majors. And as far as the Braves go, Fangraphs projects them as the number six overall bullpen. Uh, they're group right now looks like from the right side mark melanson chris martin shane green luke jackson and darren o'day from the left side will smith uh maybe sean newcomb maybe grant dayton you know we'll see how it shakes out maybe you end up with like a tuki Tassant in there at some point and i guess my two questions here are number one where was everybody else on chris martin and will smith where were the mets the nationals the dodgers and what do they do now it was the op it's the opposite of the starting pitching market it was a pretty thin relief market to start with and now if you look at the remaining top free agents, you have Drew Pomerantz, who I'm big on, but granted has very little track record here. Uh, Dylan Patances, who threw to two batters this year. And then you're into guys like, okay, I like Will Harris. Um, I don't know, Sam Dyson, Daniel Hudson, Sergio Romo, Colin McHugh. It it, it gets dicey, like real quick. It also, it, it, to me, it, it, the, the trade market becomes really interesting where some of these relievers who you wouldn't otherwise think of as being that like, highly valued, suddenly look a lot more interesting. Ken Giles is the first name that comes to mind. He's a year from free agency. We're suddenly like, yeah, he was bad in 2018, but when healthy, he was really good really good in 2019. He hurt a little bit. But... Yeah, well, that's him, that he would have gotten traded at the deadline yeah. otherwise, but um, he's a really interesting name. Um, to me, actually, the, the, the pitchers that's most interesting as we lead up to the non-tender deadline, which is December 2nd, I believe, at 8 p.m., is Blake Trinan. Because Blake Trinan is entering his final year of arbitration and probably would be in line to make a reasonable uh, number just because he has a track record of uh, I'll actually, I'll I'll pull up what, uh, what the, uh, the MLB trade rumors number was. Isn't it wild? We're even considering Blake Trinan to be a non-tender guy after how amazing he was in 2018. But theoretically, yeah, the the projected is 7.8 million for 2020 and the A's, you know, they're usually not a team that keeps relievers around at $8 million per year if they don't think they're going to be productive, but, he has a track record recently of being productive. Are you getting a non-tender? If he becomes non-tendered, he's suddenly going to be in high demand. That's what's it's weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. So I think that that's he's he's like the, the A's could try and trade him before that, but the team that acquires him knows they're probably going to have to give him this, you know, eight million dollar salary for twenty 
for 2020. So he's 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 a fascinating name for me. We obviously have talked about uh, Drew Pomerantz on this on this show, and he's now he's now the guy. And Batanzas is going to get end up getting a really good deal simply because of the scarcity of relievers. When you look at the trade guys, uh, I want to ask our listeners something. I asked you yesterday. If, if you were the Mets and you want Ken Giles, and you should want Ken Giles, you desperately need another power arm in your bullpen, would you trade Dominic Smith for him? Dominic Smith had a pretty good year. He's got, what, five years of control left? Something yeah, something like, like that. that. He's not really an outfielder. Um, he's not going to play first base in New York, not with Pete Alonso around, so he probably needs to be traded. So you're giving up control, obviously. Uh, but he also, you know, I'm actually looking at it now, and I'm shocked at how little he played. 197 plate appearances last year. He might have turned He's himself. Hurt. He hurt his foot. Yeah, he might have turned himself from a guy with um, almost literally no trade value into some trade value. I think Mets fans might hate it because he seems like a great guy and they really like him. I feel like I would do that. It's hard to say. I think if, it's funny if you. I think he was he was hurt at the trade deadline too. I almost yeah. feel like if the trade the Stroman trade had also included Giles going. And then Smith would have been and in. Smith and Smith. And then I would have been like, oh, this trade makes perfect. Smith should have been in that trade. Yes. Um, and the, the, the Blue Jays could use a first base. Exactly. Smoke's, Smoke's a free agent now. Um, oh. I wonder if – what? No, good. I wonder if there's like a maybe like a if – you, if you like throw in like a, a, a lower tier prospect to sort of going, I think, to the Mets to sort of balance out the difference in team control. Like if it was two years of Giles for five years of Smith, it's a no-brainer. Right now, one year – yeah, but I still think the Mets might do. It. I think the I think the Mets are going to sign Batanzas. I think that is like the like the lock. Really, I think that is the lock of the offseason. Do you think he wants to stay in New York? I think he's from New York. Wants to stay in New York. Um, Beltran's another manager. Oh, Beltran yeah, played okay. with him. There's okay. like they they know each other. Like there was a, there was an Instagram photo of the two of them like hanging out like two weeks ago after he got hired by the Mets. It's like okay. it just seems like this seems like you know. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> take it to the bank. Wait, wait, wait a minute. If we're doing Instagram conspiracy theories, I also saw Pete Alonso and Charlie Blackman fishing this morning. <laughs> so is Pete Alonso a Rocky now? <laughs> he's not a free agent though. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> um, okay, I could see that. Um, I would probably make this trade if I were the Mets. Uh, I always feel like J.D. Davis needs to be in the American League, but I wouldn't do it for one year of Ken Giles. But I also wanted to know, like, where do you – you're not going to find relievers in the free agent market, right? You could try to do some trades. We said Giles, you know, try to uh, – maybe you rescue Wade Davis from Colorado, right? I could see it. Like, what is it one, he, he might have two years left on his deal. Though, I, no? I don't remember. I mean, it, was, he, he, it feels lazy to just go to Colorado home road splits, but also if you look at his home road splits, oh, my God, they are massive. Um you know, Joe Jimenez would be pretty decent for the Tigers. Pirates would probably be willing to trade Keone Kella if you don't care about your clubhouse. Uh, Padres probably won't trade you Kirby Yates, but it's the last year of his deal. And maybe if you give him a good starting pitcher, maybe they would. You can't see me like putting my hands up here like I'm Larry David, but we 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 could see some interesting reliever reliever trades this uh, this this winter for, for all for all of these reasons. We have mentioned Drew Pomerantz, who was a okayish starter who became a really good reliever. And I don't think enough people realize this year in Kansas City that Ian De- uh, Ian Kennedy was phenomenal. Uh, he got moved to the bullpen. Velocity went up, dumped the lousier pitches. Like, it's the same story. He was awesome. He should have been traded, by the way. Yes. He, he, who's the next guy like that? Are there guys like that? Like, of just, like, failed starters, terminal leavers who... Well, I mean, there's, there's a ton of those stories. I, I have some... I didn't get a chance to go look through all of them, but I, I came up with, like... Two interesting names, I think. All right. So what I did is I, I looked briefly at starters who were 30 years and older, because we're not looking for like the younger guys who are still trying to start, who had an ERA above four, uh, four even this year with at least 80 innings. And it had to be guys you would reasonably consider moving to the bullpen. Right? John Lester is not going to be that guy. Jake Arrieta is not going to be that guy. Um, and I also kind of like arbitrarily 
pruned out guys who I just don't think are going to gain much in relief. Like Jason Vargas as a reliever doesn't feel that exciting to me. Um, so I looked for guys who had maybe low velocity and at least one good pitch. And there's a couple of names here. One of them I kind of like a lot is Andrew Kashner, who we saw do this a little bit at the end of the year. He uh, had a 529 ERA as a starter in 2018 and a 483 ERA as a starter in 2019. He was moved to the bullpen by the Red Sox on August 13th. I can see uh, Matt making faces about, really? Andrew Kashner? No, I th- I, I'm, I'm thinking faces because I'm saying, like, I feel like when he was early in his career, there was like, oh, he's going to be a closer. Like, that's what's, like, when he first when came he was up. traded he picked... for Rizzo and you thought yeah. he could throw 100 miles an hour. <laughs> um, he. Yeah, in 2010, he pitched 53 games out of the bullpen. I'm not crazy. No, I know you're not crazy. But he's a little older now. He just turned 33 and he's a free agent. Uh, so the Red Sox moved into the bullpen uh, right after they traded for him, really. And in the first 18 games he pitched as a reliever, 238 ERA. Uh, I said the first 18 because the last game, four runs in two-thirds of an inning. I am cherry-picking the stats. I need to cherry-pick. Uh, the strikeout rate jumped up from 16% to 22%. Fastball velocity up from 93.7 to 95.4. And the pitch mix, obviously, in 2018, he threw a sinker 25% of the time. Now it's 3% of the time. And his changeup is apparently pretty good. I found a quote in the Boston Globe from July from Danny Jansen, Toronto catcher, who said, that changeup, man, that changeup was killing me last time. Allowed a 217 batting average and a 353 slugging against. Because the whole idea here is throw harder, have one good secondary pitch. You can make it work. I've never really liked Andrew Kashner as a pitcher. But I might like him as a reliever. It certainly seems like at this point he'd have a much better chance of, of being valuable on a roster as a reliever than as a starter. Um, what do you think about Danny Duffy? Okay. I've always thought he'd be like he should be a reliever. The issue with him has always been health, that like whether or not he could bounce bounce back and pitch on you know consecutive days or two out of three, you know, two out of three days. That's the issue for him. But like as a he always felt to me, he always felt he had that vibe to me for whatever reason. Like he could come in and be like uh almost like a you know, not, I'm, I don't mean to say like Josh Hader type, but like early in his career, that always felt to me that it was like, oh, he's never going to hold up as a starter, but he's got, you know, a couple nasty pitches. He could really be a dominant early. He has, he has brief experience doing it. Uh, he's a, a 404 ERA as a starter with a 20% strikeout rate in 34 innings as a reliever, 208 ERA and a 31% strikeout rate. Velocity has jumped up. It's not a big sample. Obviously, it was a couple years ago. Um, I, a year ago, if you'd asked me this, I would have said Jordan Zimmerman. Because that slider has always been a really good pitch and the fastball velocity is down. But the slider was bad last year and he's still got $22 million on his contract. Nobody's going to trade for him. And I don't think the Tigers have enough starting pitching to not have him start. Uh, Trevor Cahill is an option. But here's here's the hot take name. Chris Archer. Chris Archer, come on. It's not going to happen. I know, I know. Well, the, the, not that this is going to happen, but it will be interesting to see what Ben Charrington, the new Pirates GM, does. Because you see all the time when new GMs come in, and there, there are players on the roster who were brought in by the previous regime that were maybe brought in under like unique circumstances, like Chris Archer was. They have no allegiance to them anymore. Whereas, so as well as like Neil Huntington was going to give Chris Archer every chance he had in his current role. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but they could go in a very different direction in terms of how they're run with a new GM, um, despite the fact that. Uh, ben Jarrington is basically the same person as Neil Huntington. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Um, um, I, I have absolutely no feel on what the Pirates are going to do. I, they have some good players, but they have no chance of competing. So I, I don't know how they're going to approach that. <laughs> um, it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that's uh, it for Matt. I'm going to kick Matt out now. And we're going to welcome in our friend Sarah Langs, uh, one of our writers and researchers here. She's got some really interesting stuff on Anthony Rendon. Um, and we will get to her in just one second. 
Welcome back. I have successfully kicked Matt out of the studio, and I have uh, joining us here someone who's been long overdue to be on this show, one of our colleagues here at MLB.com, Sarah Langs. Sarah is a writer and a researcher and an Islanders fan. Is that yeah. right? That's yeah. a pretty good time to be an Islanders fan. Yes. Welcome, Sarah. Uh, we're going to try to have Sarah on a little more often, which is to say at all, because you haven't been on our show yet. So thank you for coming to hang out for a little bit. And I asked Sarah, what were you interested in talking about? And she said to me, I found something really cool about Anthony Rendon, and I said, well, that's cool. Anthony Rendon is awesome. He's obviously the best available free agent position player, and he's going to get, I guess I don't know if he's going to get a long-term deal, but he's going to get a very highly priced deal somewhere. So your thing about Anthony Rendon is, I guess, uh, maybe not, maybe consistency, but it's actually like earning everything he's gotten. Is that kind of the way to put it? Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me very glad to be here. Uh, Yeah, so I was literally just going through all these pages, like leaderboards on the StatCast site on Saturday. And I came across the fact that Anthony Rendon had a 319 batting average this year and a 319 expected batting average. And obviously, hopefully our listeners know that's based on quality of contact and strikeouts are factored in too. But, you know, it seemed pretty interesting. We use that often as a measure of is a guy really deserving what he's hitting or, you know, should we expect him to come back down to earth? And it was pretty cool that this guy who we know is really consistent was legitimately just completely equal. And we shouldn't focus too much on the fact that it was exactly equal because that is something that can, you know, go back and forth. But I want, I was very curious about that. And like, does this tell us something about the kind of player that he'll be for however long for his new team. That is really cool. Um, I guess I guess the somewhat slightly bad news is we might we might break that a little bit soon because like at the end of each year we kind of re- refocus it to make sure it actually aligned with what happened that year. And this yeah. year it was super duper weird. Um, but that's cool. It, it won't change that much. And it seems like this isn't necessarily the first time he's done this. Like I'm looking here at his page. He has a 418 expected weighted on base, which is outstanding. And he had a 413 weighted on base. And then I look at it last year. Uh, 389 versus 383 and I look at the year before 382 and 394 so I guess he is not really benefiting from luck or a good hitting ballpark he's just awesome yeah and I thought that was so cool like you're on the free agent market if you're a team you're looking at a guy that's what you want to know right that what you see is what you get and he's a great player so the thing that really stood out to me was that he's done this. And you mentioned with uh, Xwoba, and it also works with his expected batting average from last year. So he hit 308 and he had a 307 expected batting average. And there's only a handful of guys who have had an expected batting average and a batting average that only differed by 0.002 in either direction in a qualified season. And they hit 300 okay. in the stack has So since 2015, he's the only guy to do it twice. The others are Christian Yelich and Michael Brantley in 2018. Joe Maurer and DJ LeMay, who in 2017, and AJ Pollock in 2015. So I thought that was a fun list. I feel like everyone was pretty guessable except for AJ Pollock. It's kind maybe. of a random list because like Yelich yeah. broke out and then yeah. Joe Maurer was sort of at the end of the line. Yeah, but he was apparently still hitting. He hit 305 and he had a 307 expected on base that year, uh, expected batting average that year. I'm also looking uh, at Rendon for this last year. He slugged 598 yeah. and his expected slugging was 599. Yeah. So. <laughs> That kind of leads me to another thing I looked into with him, which was about his power. So part of what's making his expected batting average and his batting average so close is that part, I think, an expected batting average where we have uh, strikeouts factored in. And he is a very low strikeout guy. That's one of the things that makes him such an attractive player um, on the free agent market. So this year, he had a 13.3% strikeout rate. 
and a 46.6% hard hit rate, and no qualified player had both a lower strikeout rate and higher hard hit rate than that. And it also worked last year when he had a 13.7 strikeout rate and a 44.6 hard hit rate. So to the point, like nobody else is doing it the way he is right now. Well, I find that incredibly valuable because people, especially now, are talking about, oh, make contact, don't strike out, which, sure, great. But you have to make good contact, you know, like trading in your strikeouts for 50 weak ground balls to second base doesn't actually do anything for me. Um, You know, you'll get the Astros the last couple of years. And yes, everything else that's going on with the Astros is a factor in this, but they cut down their strikeout rate while still hitting for power. You know, that's, I mean, if you can do it, great. It's a lot easier said than done. Um, Signing guys like Rendon, I suppose, would be a good way to do that. Yeah. And we had a, we had a stretch there with like the 16 Cubs, 17 Astros and 18 Red Sox, where the team that won the World Series was one of the lowest strikeout rate teams at the plate in baseball and lowest whiff rate too. So we've definitely seen that that does translate to success. It's just obviously not the easiest thing in the world to do at the major league level or everyone would be, you know. I I think I looked into this before and um, it's sort of like an unbalanced thing in terms of team strikeout rate. Like if you strike out a lot, you're doomed. Like you, you yeah. cannot be good if you strike out. Like the highest strikeout rate teams this last year: Tigers, terrible offense; Padres, White Sox, Mariners, Rangers, Blue Jays. Those are all you don't want to be there, right? But the teams that had the lowest strikeout rate were this weird mix of the Astros, who were fantastic, yeah. the Pirates, uh, the Angels, uh, the Twins, who were fantastic, yeah. uh, and then the Nationals. <laughs> it's like yeah. it, striking out a lot is uh, undeniably awful, but not striking out a lot does not guarantee success. Yeah. So we were talking about this uh, when I was on MLB Now on Tuesday and sort of the idea Brian Kenny brought up about lineup diversity and that sometimes it's okay if a guy's going to hit 55 home runs and strike out a lot. Like, obviously that's not the ideal, but for some guys, that's just going to be their game. And if you tell him to cut down on strikeouts, he ends up cutting down on the home runs and everything else too. And obviously that's not like the, you know, overall ideal of a hitter, but just the idea that, some teams are more balanced when some guys are doing that if it's leading to more power or whatever else. So I think to that point, it doesn't need to be the extreme. And it's also funny, the Angels, because it's just David Fletcher. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were uh, going to say them. Uh, Simmons is another yes, guy like yes. that. And I feel like uh, forgetting somebody. Lestella maybe didn't strike maybe. out that much. I yeah. can't remember. Um, but it's interesting that, to think about it in that way of how different guys get to home runs. Like Joey Gallo is yeah. a monstrously strong human being. And he was basically told, you do not need to swing 100% every single time because you're so strong swing it like 90 percent and make more contact and you'll be fine yeah. whereas a guy like i don't know i don't have a name off the top of my head scooter Jeanette, maybe like you kind of need to go all out if you're going to hit home yeah. runs and uh, if you start cutting down on that effort to get to more contact that's actually probably bad right which i like because there's no one right way to do any of this yeah i mean i think that's what's fun and i think that to the point of like lineup diversity like we've seen teams in the past where they sort of you know if a hitting coach comes in with one mantra And then everyone on the team tries to fit that mold. And the truth is that everyone is a different hitter. Everyone learns different things along the way and has different strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, seeing it as it's okay for this guy to strike out 150 times or whatever it is might actually help the rest of the team because he'll be hitting more home runs. And we we tend to forget the like number one reason for strikeouts, which is that pitcher's rule. (laughs) Like every team has nine guys throwing 98 with stink on it. (laughs) Like it's really hard to do this. Uh, So you are, are starting a new kind of, uh, let's say project here. You're trying to solicit interesting stats questions from people. And I, I know you haven't looked through all the ones you've received yet, uh, but how can people ask you like the weirdest possible stats questions and why? <laughs> yeah. So uh, our uh, beat reporters every week do these inboxes, you know, and they get questions from fans about, are we going to sign this free agent? What do you think the team should do this off season? Or, you know, questions in season about how things are going. And 
I get a lot of questions just kind of asked at me sometimes on Twitter. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. Of You know, often it'll be, I'll put a stat out there and someone has a follow-up question. And, you know, if it really interests me, I will answer, but sometimes I don't get a chance to, but I thought that, you know, people's inquisitive nature with that could be really fun to address. And so we're going to start doing a research inbox. If you follow our MLB.com lingo, it's like a mailbag. Uh, and I've gotten a couple of questions so far. I'm going to be writing this up probably later today. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to look into all of them yet, but some examples, if you're curious, the kinds of things you could ask. Uh, someone asked us about the longest throw for an out in, they said MLB history. We're going to go with the StatCast era because that's what we've got. I don't really have data on Roberto Clemente handy. <laughs> exactly. Although I would love to. <laughs> I've actually thrown around. So uh, in the NBA, the next level stats are second spectrum. And I, in my previous job where I addressed not just baseball, we used to uh, joke around that we needed first spectrum, which would cover <laughs> everything before second spectrum started in 2013, 14. So we have to figure out if it's like old cast or what, no. so we can at least make the joke. Here's the thing. I, I get that kind of question all the time. People <laughs> always want to know, and I never want to do it because like, yeah, it might be cool to know that Randy Johnson yeah. got like eight and a half feet extension off the mound or Barry, uh, Babe Ruth hit the ball 140 miles an hour. But I don't want to be the guy who says, hey, you know, uh, Willie Mays' catch? It's actually really easy because he had so much you know, hang time and so much room to go. I don't know if that's true, but it could very possibly turn out that way. That's true. I don't think anybody wants that. No. And to be clear, neither for Spectrum nor Old Caster Act. Yes. Possibly. No, it doesn't exist. Not no. possible. <laughs> it was just my joke. Uh, but yeah, so in uh, another question someone asked when the Hall of Fame ballot came out and people were talking about different guys was, uh, has any player besides Eric Chavez had more than five gold gloves and no All-Star Game appearances? So think the answer will probably be yes but those are kind of the fun things you know we're not looking for yes no questions but yeah. you know maybe trivia you want to ask your friends or things you're sitting at home or reading an article and you want to know the answer right some stack asked some not yeah. they're basically trying to turn you into a human play index for exactly <laughs> exactly maybe i'll include some links okay so yeah. you are soliciting this on twitter mostly? yes on twitter um at s langs on sports or you can email me sarah.langs at mlb.com it's the bottom of every article i write great sarah with an h yes uh, sarah with an h okay that's yes. awesome i'm looking forward to seeing like just the weirdest possible baseball questions yeah. that you receive and that'll be pretty fun yeah. uh that's cool that is our show for this week for uh matt and myself and sarah there is no show next week for the holiday but thanks for listening to the mlb.com stackcast podcast Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.